Welcome back to the Wayne In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Steen. This is episode 116. On the line, as always, David Mercatani. David, how are things? Good, man. Good, good. Two weeks out from, or two months out from Nationals and our event, which we're going to make a big announcement about next week. Um, yeah, everything's good and crazy week in wrestling. The rankings were a lot of fun this week, I can tell you that. Yeah, 133 in particular is uh, is no win now, I think. Uh, everybody's lost everybody, haven't they? Except Nisek <laughs> and Seth Gross, but not wrestling. So... Yeah, Gross is out. Nisek is, yeah, is the undefeated guy, but of course he hadn't wrestled anybody really this season. Obviously, he, you know, he's number one based on his overall resume, but yeah, we'll get into that. That was really interesting situation and uh i'm sure there will be more twists and turns to that weight class as we go through the last couple of months here yeah we'll walk through the logic of how we came up where we did there for sure there's a lot of other things to talk about um you know, it's hard to get in play tickets pittsburgh the yargan tournament and dave schultz tournament are going on and uh, had a wrestler go big on ufc this weekend uh why don't you tell, take us through that a little bit because i know you watched it yeah, well, you know, two of them, Gregor Gillespie stayed undefeated. Um, his fight stats, he he finished the fight with like one minute left in the second round and literally had like eight minutes and 40 seconds of dominant control and literally took one strike. So I think it goes to show you, and it, it's a, we, we can't go, we won't go into this a lot today, but it is the idea of folk style and of, of control, of being able to ride and control, which you don't have to do as much in conflict a big difference in fighting. And then Cejudo uh, fought TJ Dillashaw. Dillashaw worked with Sam Calavita, same guy that's worked with David Taylor and Juan Archuleta, who was on my podcast about a year ago. These guys do some amazing things in terms of weight cutting and diet and exercise. And he came down and lost in a, you know, about 32 seconds to uh, Henry. Henry looked really good. I'm trying to get Albertson and Henry on my podcast because uh, Eric and I are friends, but did a great job. There's an argument on whether or not the stoppage was too soon or not. It looks like they may run it back, but this time up at 35, and Henry would be the, a chance to be a, a champ champ at two different weights. But if you look at the champions in most weights, almost all of them are predominantly wrestling backgrounds, and I think that's something that everybody who's in the wrestling community is pretty proud of. Absolutely. You know, I don't follow UFC as closely as you do, but um, leading up to that fight, all I heard was how Dillashaw was going to take it to Cejudo, and I just kept thinking, have these guys, do they know the background of Henry Cejudo? Like, nobody takes it to Henry Cejudo. Like, it's not going to happen. He's going he's gonna to stand up. Now, obviously, I didn't see it, you know, being a quick stoppage that way when you got champion versus champion, but uh, I knew he'd have some for him, and that was, a great, that was great to see. And uh, with the whole flyweight division being – in limbo with UFC, I, that was a nice statement to make for Henry and for the pro little guys. You know, I still feel like a little guy. Wrestled 103 in high yeah. school and 120 for a while in college, so I still identify with those guys. So, way to go, Henry! He did an awesome job, and you know, finishing a fight. I, I thought, I mean, Dillashaw was a two to one betting favorite. I actually thought he would. His best path to victory was a five round decision. His striking style is so unique. His in and out and everything else. I think that's why the money was there, and because they thought it was the bigger guy. Henry literally just pushed him, and literally just pushed him down like a little kid at one point in the fight. 
And obviously in 32 seconds, you don't have a lot of time to make a lot of uh, process, a lot of data, but I was with some guys and I was like, Oh Lord, <laughs> this might not be the fight that everybody thinks it's going to be. And sure enough, a few seconds later it was over. I mean, but he, he ragdolled him around a little bit. Which is Definitely. It's, and we saw obviously Cejudo, the Olympic champion in 2008. We're going to get back into a little bit of international wrestling this weekend. Uh, we got the Dave Schultz Thursday through Saturday, and we got the Ivan Yarigan, um, which I believe begins on Thursday and runs through Sunday. Of course, the Yarigan is uh, a one of the first events, the first event this year where you can turn ranking towards seeding at the World Championships. Um, last year's World Championship will also factor in this season, so everybody that was a world champion is number one right now. And then men's and women's freestyle this weekend in Russia will get a chance. Um, we've got a pretty interesting roster. Um, Thomas Gilman's going over there. We've got Joe Colon and Corey Clark at 61. Zane Richards also at 57. Zane uh, Rutherford at 65. James Green and Jason Chamberlain at 70. Imar at 74. Alex Derringer at 79. Sam Brooks at 86. And Kyle Snyder at 97. Um, Reports are that Sajulaya will not be there at 97, which is unfortunate, but still going to be a great tournament. Um, on the women's freestyle side, we have Victoria Anthony and Aaron Golston at 50. Sarah Hildebrandt, who just signed with Rudis as their first female athlete at 53. Haley Aguello at 53. Becca Leathers at 55. Kelsey Campbell at 59. Forrest Molinari at 65. And Tamara Mensa Stock at 68. So quality up and down the lineup for men and women's freestyle. Um, and it should be a, a great time to watch. And we also have the Dave Schultz, which will have a ton of domestic talent. I don't know who's coming internationally for that, but we've got, you know, J.O. and Molinaro at 70 looks to be the main event there. Um, and just a lot of interesting matchups, as there always are. Uh, what are you looking forward to? Uh, the Eric Guerrero Bowl, right? The 70 kilogram match between J.O. <laughs> and Molinaro. I mean, obviously, Eric and I are friends, but I did. That did, you know, certainly, uh, you know, pique my interest. I think it was Tommy Rollins that tweeted that he and Daniel Cormier wrestled one time in the finals of the Oregon, and that was the only time that two Americans had ever wrestled each other in the finals of that tournament. So um, I grew up just hearing stories about Dave Schultz at that tournament and publicity in tournaments like that and, you know, what just what how he became a legend over there. So... I'm just, I, you know, I'm fascinated by the cultural part of it. And I also think, like you said, the fact that this does impact seeding, you know, obviously America's, you know, got one of the two two best teams in the world. And, you know, it, it, it does start with seeding, you know, your path to victory, the easiest your path can be, the better. Yeah, I mean, the Tbilisi tournament and the Oregon are two of the most storied events in international wrestling history. And there's just so much, there's so much there. All of our legends, you know, made their name. Uh, you know, going over there and wrestling in Russia. And now uh, with the seating, like you mentioned, it's just added a facet to it. Um, I know some people aren't happy that there aren't, you know, 30 Russians in the brackets anymore. Um, they're limited to how many people they can enter per weight, but they still have qualifying. So you're still going to see three of the best Russians at every weight. And then the rest of the world is sending more and more people because of the seating event. So still a fantastic tournament. Um, it's going to be cold as heck in Russia, so it's going to be just just perfect survivalist wrestling mm -hmm. warrior combat stuff all the way all the way up and down for everybody going over there. It's going to be fun to watch. 
Yeah, and you mentioned Sarah Hildebrandt, and you know, you mentioned she signed with Rudis. Uh, you know, so big shout out to her. I don't know her at all, but that's awfully cool that uh, that she you know got that got that endorsement, and you know, shout out to Rudis for making that happen. I think those are both big things for for women's wrestling for sure. Yeah, it is big. I mean, we see so much growth on the women's side, both at the high school and college level right now, that it's good to see that sort of thing. And Rudis is a wrestling company, so they get it, and it's good to see her. I've, you know, I've interviewed her a time or two, and you know, she's ba- had to battle back from some injuries and do some different things, but she's got it going in the right direction right now, and she's doing really well. So great to see, and uh, nothing but luck for her. And, of course, if she goes out and wins the Erie again this weekend, that'll that, – investment will pay off right right away <laughs> for Rudis. Yeah, for sure. And before we get to the rankings part, I guess I should probably mention who this part of our podcast is sponsored by. I got to get into that habit, but we're brought to, brought to you guys by fantasygrade.com and the Fantasy Wrestling National Championships. You know more about wrestling than your friends and everyone else? Prove it. From the online contest set up, set up as a calorie, salary cap event, to the live auction contest being held at the Yard Restaurant in Pittsburgh the Wednesday night before the NCAA National Tournament, FantasyGrade.com has you covered. Prove you know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country by going to FantasyGrade.com. Sign up for the live contest, which features over $300 of guaranteed participation prizes, the online contest, or both. All the rules are there at FantasyGrade.com. Sign up today and prove you're the smartest wrestling fan in the country. And, and we love that nerd stuff. That's the kind of stuff, you know, you and I talk about off air, about, you know, who we think is going to do better than their seed and things like that, maybe who's underranked and, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. So that stuff's a lot of fun to play with. Definitely. And uh, it's it's good that you have an online contest this year because it's, it's looking like the NCAAs in Pittsburgh are going to be tickets. There will be a lot of wrestling fans there. It sounds like there's going to be a fair number that are shut up. Yeah, I, I read an article about it, and it, it's, you know, they said that requests are up, and it used to be, or is it still is, I guess, a proportional thing where, like, like a Penn State gets the most tickets and uh, Sacred Heart gets the least tickets, but they all get so many based on just your team qualifying. And, you know, so I think I think people are just requesting because, you know, you it's that's the easiest way theoretically to get them. I know... In years past, guys have signed up for like, uh, you know, the the booster club for you know different schools, and that was a good way to get tickets. And now those people aren't able to get them. I think next year is going to be really interesting. People that think they're going to sell sixty thousand tickets for the NSA wrestling inside that dome are crazy. I mean, I don't even think they're going to do half. But you know, they're going to do some sort of horseshoe setup, and then the the word we're getting is that they're going to literally put FanFest, draw a curtain and put FanFest on the other side of it, which is cool, but it's also bad. Like, if you're going to go stir-crazy in the same building for three days straight, but it's Minnesota, so maybe not having to go outside is, is kind of a good thing. But there's probably going to be twenty-five to 30,000 seats max. And, you know, this kind of ties to, I don't know if we'll have time to get into it, but, like, whether or not wrestling would stay as a two-semester sport or become a one-semester sport, and if so, is it a fall sport or a spring sport? But I am totally biased when I say this, but this is why they should move the Nationals or leave it in St. Louis, because they know what they're doing. They have the right number of seats so far. You know, they, it's I, I, when you 
only do this kind of thing once every 15 or 20 years, stuff gets goofed up. It happened in Cleveland last year where they put all the media instead of on the 50-yard line in the end zone. And, like, you and I couldn't even see on the far two mats what was going on. And when you've done this over and over and over, I mean, I literally had breakfast with the St. Louis Sports Commission guy, and this is all the stuff he talked about. And he goes, we didn't get it right the first time, but, you know, when you get to do it every three or four years, you eventually get everything about as close to perfect as you can. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out because obviously right now there's a lot of speculation. I mean, I want to find out what the capacity of the PPD arena is when they get the mats down, when they're, you know, those first couple of sessions, those first few sessions with eight mats. How many seats did you really, were you really able to sell? You know, I've heard a couple of people talk about that they've only got 16,000, which is much under what they advertised. Um, and if that's true, that's a big mistake. That should have been identified in the bid process. But if it's more of the 18,000, 19,000 type and the, and the demand is just overwhelming, okay, I get that. You know, it's in Pittsburgh. There's a lot of PA guys that are from around that area that are going for championships. Obviously, Penn State's good. That helps. There's a lot of good wrestling areas within driving distance. That helps. So, if that's all it is, I'm not really up in arms about it. If they really screwed the pooch on this deal, you know, that's different. Um, that's the kind of stuff. I mean, you know, your point is well taken about that they're not going to get it right the first time. They only do this once in a great while. But that's part of what the bid process is for is to weed that stuff out. And those guys from the NCAA and from the NWCA that go in with that stuff, they do know what they're doing. So, you know, it's – We'll see what plays out. All I know right now is that everybody, pretty much every school that has put out a public statement has talked about not getting very many yeah. tickets. Right. Um, and we'll see what happens. Um, there's, there are seats out there on the secondary market, but they're seven to $800 a pop for the upper level in the ends. And, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, it's been growing for some time, and that's a good thing for wrestling um, you talked about next year, that'll be a good test. And you're right, they're not going to try to sell 60000 But if they can sell 30000 suddenly that makes that sort of setup very attractive down the road. Because, you know, the NCAA wants to make money on this. We're one of the few that we're one of the few sports that makes money on their championships for the NCAA. And if they can sell, you know, half again as many tickets as a basketball arena can hold, uh, suddenly that looks pretty attractive. I think the really interesting part isn't how many tickets they sell. I think it's the reaction because I've talked to people about this and like St. Louis intentionally did not put a bid in for the Edward Jones dome this time, which is an NFL dome, even though we don't have our team anymore because he said the sight lines were so bad that he, he goes, I don't want to be the first one when people get that, give us that feedback because I don't want to lose the bid for the next time because we were the ones that guinea pigged this. And he didn't use that phrase, I'm using that. But, you know, like, we don't want to be the ones that do this. So he has really valid, I think, concerns. The other thing is, like, I, I get the NCAs, you know, they know what they're looking for. But look, man, like, you've, you've seen this. Like, and there's no corruption. I'm not saying it like this. But, like, we've seen Olympic bids, but they didn't have the stadium built, like, nine months ahead of time. We've seen World Cup bids. I mean, Bids are just about who are good at sales. It's not actually who can deliver. It's like just, it's persuasion. You know, so, I mean, 
I see things all, I mean, I run events and like, I mean, the other day, like somebody goes, well, we can put this many people in your event. I'm like, no, you guys forgot about the space of the map. <laughs> it's like, that's a big, you know, that's a, you know, 50 by 50, that's 2,500 square feet you have to account for. So, you know, it's, it's a big deal. So I, I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm biased and, you know, if it was in Chicago instead of St. Louis, maybe I wouldn't feel the same way, but next year is going to determine a lot and i don't think how yep. many tickets they sell i think the reaction afterwards along with how many tickets they sell is going to be is be the big factors for sure yeah it's definitely the sight lines and the experience will make a big difference and you know i'm already hearing a lot of people oh i won't go because it'll be terrible and you know i heard a lot of the same things before new york and that basically sold out so i you know it's one of those things where we'll have to wait and see and how it goes but you know the, the demand for seats at the NCAA tournament has gone pretty much up and up and up the last 10 years or so I remember Des Moines uh, was a pretty was one of the smaller arenas we went to in the last 10 years or so and that was a tough ticket and I can't imagine having it back there again now because the demand has done nothing but grow so we need to Des find it we'll never get it they'll never get it again because you're so it'll be interesting to see like we have to find a solution to that problem it's a good problem to have from a wrestling standpoint but it's a frustrating problem to have from a fan standpoint that's for sure for sure for sure so um what do you want to talk about next replay gavin teasdale get into the rankings uh, yeah, let's talk about these there real quick. Um, announcements out, confirmed by Kale Sanderson that he's no longer on the Penn State wrestling team. He's expected to transfer. Um, any destination for that transfer is speculation at this point, but uh, obviously had a rough go of it his true freshman year at Penn State. Never did take the mat as a Nittany Lion, and um, we'll see what happens. Um, hopefully he gets his stuff together, and wherever he ends up going, he can – make a new start um, obviously talented but um, just never quite got it going at Penn State yeah I don't think I have anything to add there it'll be interesting to see where he pops up for sure yeah um, yeah so you, you've got on here a replay of NFL versus wrestling and you know last week I ranted and raved about the replay system and some of the rules that are in wrestling and then we watched the NFL conference championships <laughs> this weekend and I mean Listen, I, I get it. The referees have a hard job, but that was that's a professional refereeing crew. Um, the NFL pays them well. Yes, some of them have second jobs as well, but they're pretty much professionals. And just a complete blown call that basically kept the Saints from having a 99.9% .9 chance of winning the game, and they ended up losing in overtime. So, uh, you know, it's... It's one of those. It's a reminder that no matter how good your rules, and I'm not saying the NFL rules are perfect by any means. There's some issues there, and their replay system is what it is. You cannot review this sort of judgment call, which is an issue. But you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. Humans are going to make human errors at times. So um, that was interesting to see, especially in the context of what we've been talking about in the wrestling world. That is, and also. The Edelman, you know, where did he touch the touch the ball on the punt or not? Like, I mean, I think they got it right. You know, I think they did. But, you know, it's and, and I know you're on this side and, and conceptually I'm with you. Like, hey, if you can't decide in two minutes, you know, then the call stands. Well, that call would have stood. Now, in that case, 
Brady just, you know, threw a, an interception like on the next play, you know, so it, you know, it ended up sort of like, well, it hit Edelman's hands like it was almost, you know, like destiny. But I mean, it just shows that like as much as people are bent about wrestling review, it's, it's not just wrestling. And like, I guess my point of mentioning this quickly is just the NFL's got a lot more uh, dollars to invest in this and their, their situation's a mess as well. So I mean, that's kind of the main point, but it's not, it's not an easy fix. That's, I guess that's my point. Yeah, I was surprised they overturned the element call too. Uh, it seems like when we first got replay, especially in the NFL, that um, the replay officials were bending over backwards not to overturn the call on the field unless it was just so obvious they couldn't deny it. Now, I think we've gotten to that point where they're willing to make a judgment. And say, even though they're supposed to have, you know, completely clear evidence to overturn anything, I mean, on that, I guess you can say you had complete completely perfect evidence to overturn it, but, man, it was close enough that I would have had a hard time pulling the trigger, that's for sure. Most definitely, and especially if you have a two-minute limit on it, right? Like, two minutes, that right. all stands, no doubt. Like, I mean, obviously, because they didn't get it done in two minutes, so. Yeah, but, of course, they don't have that limit, so they didn't have right. that question on. Yeah. Well, we don't I mean, either. I, what I'm saying, like, like I if you put that right. limit on there, I don't think they could have gotten – Let's, if they could have gotten to that answer that quickly, it feels like logically they would have, right? So yeah, I mean it's I, I do think and it, we, you know I think we saw it. Um, well, I, I don't know what the holdup was with Fix Soriano. I've heard some things, but not enough to actually say it. But you know, it's sometimes I do think they take extra looks at it when it's super close, hoping they're going to find something that they didn't see before. Where if they they probably already made the call, they think they know what it is in, the, in their mind. They just want to confirm, and I get it because you want to get it right. But sometimes I think the limit will make it a little more, I don't know, just efficient, um, just to make sure you know make the call. And if you can't, that's okay. You know, I don't know that anyone could have if they had not overturned that call. Can anyone really say for sure, other than Edelman, whether he touched that ball or not? Even Edelman, you know. <laughs> You have gloves on, so if it grazes the tip of your glove, maybe you didn't even feel it and you did touch it. So it's hard to say. Um, and, of course, he's never going to admit it either way. Yeah, and New England's never been accused of doing anything against the rules. So, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we got that too. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a handful. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in Missouri. So it was interesting. A lot of people were just rooting against the Rams, you know, because they left. Almost everybody here was rooting for the Chiefs. So uh, it was interesting watching both games. But if you just if you didn't have a, a horse in the race, what two two wild card two uh, overtime games rather is just I mean, talk about you know a great day to watch football. And I was watching football and working on rankings at the same time, so that was really fun. Yeah, and I got to say, I love the fact that I can now watch football on TV and have wrestling matches going on the laptop without any issues. That's like, exact, I love that. That's exactly what I, I was never, doing. <laughs> and then I texted you about 133 at some point in there, too. So I guess that's a pretty good segue. We're, I think we're to the rankings portion, right? Absolutely. We're ready to go. Why don't you tell us about Red Light Mats? Resolite is your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From their zip mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system 
to their exclusive DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. Thank you, Paul and Matt Gilbert, for supporting us. We appreciate it. Yeah, 125, didn't, there wasn't much happening around the country. I think actually probably the biggest thing that happened was reportedly um, Milhoff was ready to go for Arizona State at 125, and they wrestled Brandon Courtney instead against Ronnie Bresser. Um, the other night, Courtney wrestled a good match, but Bresser came away the victor. Um, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Milhoff's coming off a pretty bad concussion, as I understand it. So yeah, I get, you know, being a little bit, cautious with him he's got some injury history but uh we'll see when he comes back there wasn't really much in the way of change to the rankings uh is that what you saw this week jack punky is in for missouri colby smith can't make that cut to 25 anymore and he beat swarm and lost the hildebrandt so punky uh colby came out at 18 and punky came back in at 23 which literally didn't change the points at all but that's it and I think we're going to try to, you know, talk a little bit. The big match at 25 this week coming up is Rivera, Lee, I think it's four or five, right? Yeah. And uh, obviously with Sebastian Rivera getting the win at the Midlands and the way Lee has struggled compared to his standards um, over the past month or two, it's an interesting matchup, right? I mean, yeah. this is probably for the number one seed at, at the Big Ten tournament. Um and they'll probably run it back for a third time there to determine, you know, who's ahead of who at the national tournament. But it's, I think this is really comes down to what is, what's Spencer Lee, where's his head at? Where's his body at? You know, right. is he going to yeah. be the stop season or is it going to be a little more open for other guys to take 125? I think that's a perfect summary. So I won't add to that. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Well, you can tell we did not rehearse this and take opposite sides for that, but uh, that's, that'll work. <laughs> this, is, this is the honest podcast. We, we, we're just honest. What, what we think. Here, I, I so. think Lee's the best guy. So I think, if Lee's, I think Lee's ceiling is higher than Rivera's ceiling. I also think sure. Rivera won the match fair and square, and, you know, nothing. there's nothing crazy about the match. I mean, he won, but I just, I mean – Rivera's a very, very, very good wrestler. Lee's like a multiple-time world champion and truck drove everybody at nationals. Their, yeah. their bests yeah. are on a different level. Like, nobody's talking about Rivera making the Olympic team in 2020. People are talking about Lee. So, I mean, yeah. I think I don't think that's an insult to Sebastian Rivera. I think those are just facts. Yeah, definitely. That's where we are right now. So, well, we'll see what happens. Um, but, yeah. Moving up to 133. Anthony Cifolo pancaked Austin Gomez and pinned him in 256. Um, Cifolo is kind of the Iowa State killer. He did that to, uh, I believe it was Ian Parker last year. It was whoever he wrestled against Iowa State in the duel, uh, pinned him. So it, he, he's a dangerous man, and obviously Gomez goes for it. Uh, we know we love his wide-open style, but uh, sometimes that happens when you do that. Um, when you are always going forward, always looking to score, sometimes somebody – picks you off and pins you. I think that was actually the second time Gomez had been on his back in the first period, so it was not a fluke, um, but that's a, that's a good win for Anthony Cifolo. Um Austin DeSanto also upset Nick Siriano 6-4 to four with a very late takedown. Um, I have some thoughts on Soriano's match management that I'll 
I'll get to after you react, please. Uh, Mickey Phillippe upset Dayton Six three to one with also a late takedown. Um, seemed to be the theme of the week. And Josh Terrell of American got a nice win over Brandon Pathel of Lehigh ten to five. I think most people would have expected that coming into the year, but Terrell had been struggling a little bit, so um, good win for him. I'll let you start anywhere you want. Let's Let talk me know about, what you think about. Let's talk about the ranking just so people understand. Misik or Misich or Stevan or Steven or whatever you call him, he's one. He's undefeated. Hasn't wrestled a big schedule. The you know highest returning All American. So for now, he's one. Philippi, Fix, and Suriano had all beaten each other. Philippi beat Fix. Fix beat Suriano. Suriano beat Philippi badly in the at the Midland or uh, Vegas finals. To sort that out, Suriano has a second loss, so he becomes the third guy of those two. Then you take the two guys above that head-to-head. Philippi beat Fix, and it was also the most recent. So Philippi's two, Fix is three. Then you look at Suriano now with Pletcher and DeSanto. DeSanto, if he hadn't lost to Gomez, would be ranked two right now because he'd be undefeated. But Pletcher is above DeSanto. DeSanto beat Suriano head-to-head. Um, Tariq, Gomez drops below Tariq for getting pinned this week. And then uh, Lezak's 9, RBY's 10, Ernesty's 11. But none of that really changed. So those are the rankings part of it. I personally think that the I would be, if I was coaching Nick Soriano, I would make sure he's got his confidence because he did not look confident against uh, DeSanto. I definitely think I got, he got Carver Hawkeye. I think that has a lot to do with the mat management stuff. I think... That double stalling call, good or bad, you have to be aware of that. And, you know, I don't know about the mat return call because the rule is, you know, I heard somebody else say you have to return him. That's not the rule. The rule is you have to attempt to return him. So I think people that are right. out there should actually know the rules when they're saying stuff like that. And that's the problem. That's subjective. Like, I can lock my hands behind you and fake like I'm lifting, and now you have to decide, well, did he really try to lift or is he just trying to hold on? Both he and Fix look super hesitant to pull the trigger. Dayton did attack more in the first period, but from a coaching standpoint, this is, and I'm actually shaking my hands around right now like somebody's watching me, but if you're the better guy, if I think I'm better than you, I want to have five, six scrambles in the match because I think I can win three or four of those. If I think you're better than me, I want to have a bunch of standing around and have one scramble and hope I can win like playing Tiger Woods for 18 holes or playing him for one hole with my favorite club on my home course with my favorite pin position. And I understand the other side of it is you can't just randomly or recklessly put yourself into scrambles. This is one of the things I think Penn State's the best in the country at. They don't have a lot of standing around, at least, you know, they're high point guys. They're in scrambles all the time. And obviously the play wrestling and all that stuff, they're some of the best guys in the country at that. But besides Joseph, their hammers don't win too many three-to-two matches. I mean, and if they do win, like, we've talked about this, Nolf doesn't even care if he gets taken down. And his mindset is so unique. I think Nichols the same way. I don't think he cares. I think I'm going to put you... It's almost... He's almost... They're almost like seven-year-olds in a good way. Like, I'm going to put you on your back and pin you. (laughs) So, um, So that's my take on it. I mean, I might have more after you know i'll listen to you but what did you think about it watching it well first i think uh, that 
your Penn State comment is interesting, especially in the context of their match against Nebraska. You know, I, I like to go to message boards and read through, um, especially threads about duels to get people's takes on the different matches. I mean, I watch the matches and form my own opinions, but I like to, you know, see how people feel about them, you know, and see how different things. I mean, there's nonsense out there, but there's some good stuff too. You know, they, they won eight matches against a top 10 team. They had 20 something takedowns up and down the lineup, um, but they didn't have any near fall and they only had, I think one bonus point win, maybe. Um, RBY had one, but, you know, Nolf didn't get one. Bo didn't get one. So it was a tough, hard-fought match because Nebraska's got some guys that can wrestle. And it's funny because to hear the reaction after you beat a top-10 team, eight out of ten matches, yeah. and, you know, out took you had 20-something takedowns, not like you had, you know, ten and just won every match three to two. You had 20-something takedowns. And they were just kind of like, man, we didn't look very good and all this stuff. And that's the level. And that's what, you know, what you're talking about. They're used to their guys going out there and getting in scrambles. And, yeah, they'll give up points, but they'll score. And I thought that was an interesting parallel because the Iowa teams from the Gable era, you always heard that. You know, you'd go by, we didn't care if we were down three, four, five points in the first period. We were going to get that back. You know, they were going to keep coming and they were going to score. And, you know, Randy Lewis talks about that all the time about he'd, you know, watch one of his teammates get behind by two or three takedowns. He wasn't worried about them yet because right. um, they knew they could come back and they'd score. So that's where Penn State is, and that's a winning strategy, obviously. And in college wrestling, if you put points on the board, that's half the battle. I mean, yes, defense is important, but if you can score, you can win a lot of matches that way just by allowing yourself to take risk. And, yeah, you're right. Right now we see Nick Seriano and Dayton Fix both not taking a lot of risk. You know, Fix chased Philippi quite a bit in the first period, but in the second period, Philippi got on his offense, and Fix really didn't have an, an answer for him. And there were no real scrambles. It was just a lot of, you know, oh, I'll take this attack with the leg, and, you know, the other guy will shake it off, or I'll get double unders, and I can't get anything I want. You know, um, Philippi actually got to an ankle a couple of times. Once they went out of bounds, and the other time they ended up in a stalemate. So it's there's not enough risk being taken, and I don't know why that is. You know, it's it's hard without being out there and feeling it. You know, it's hard to say what they're feeling and what they, you know, are going to do. But, you know, Suriano had that match against Sato one, takes a couple of stall calls, and then still should have been able to force overtime and gives up a takedown at the end, you know, and he's, he hardly ever gives up takedowns. So, picks basically the same thing. That was the first takedown he'd given up all year, gave up a takedown at the end and got beat. That's the kind of thing that happens if you stay close matches. And we talk about it all the time. These guys that wrestle close matches, nobody's that good on defense that they can always get out of it. And we saw it this weekend. Yeah, I, I think Soriano looked discombobulated. And I think Fix, I, here's the one thing you can't say about either one of those guys. They didn't get hosed. You know, the other thing, nope. from a, a technique standpoint, I thought was interesting. DeSanto said... I got to my hold. When I get to my hold, I know I can score. And, you know, a lot of top-level guys use the word hold instead of a setup or a tie-up. But that's what they mean. Like, okay, like for me, I wanted uh, inside left to tie with an overhook, with my fingers overhooked. And as long as my right hand was free, I had like three different attacks from there that I wanted. And I would, I would fight or fight, fight from that until I got it. Like I talked to a coach the other day. He's like, 
my guy's the best guy in the country. He goes, but he ain't going to attack you if he's not touching you. So right. you see these guys, they get to their spots, and that's what matters. And so I, I think that's where scouting and things like that makes a big difference. So. Yeah, and, I, you know, I want to be clear that, you know, DeSanto earned that win. It's just that, you know, he had – at a certain point there, especially as Soriano started that third period, he had the advantage. And – he gave away some of the advantage. It looked like it was going to go to overtime, but DeSanto went and took it from him and he wrestled a smart match too. So I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think that I'm, you know, taking anything away from him. It's just, it was weird seeing, you know, those two, two stall calls, no matter what you think of them, especially after you take the first one, you gotta, you gotta be smarter than that. I think, um, you know, if that match had gone to overtime, then those stall calls would have gotten it there. So I don't know. It was weird to see, and I, it's not—he's not the only one to make that mistake. It happens all the time in college wrestling. But you've got to be aware of how many stall calls you've taken, where the match situation is, and sometimes it's better to just give up that point. Yeah, I think he got Harvard. I think he just lost his vote. I don't think that happens at the rack. Honestly, I just don't think that happens at the rack. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right, man. As usual, we took too much time at 133. So we'll move yeah. up to 141. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Josh knocked off Jaden Ironman of Missouri, 4 to 3. Uh, Mikey Carr knocked off Mitch McKee, 5 to 2, which wasn't a huge upset, but it was a little bit. And I thought it was interesting. Noah Bauman, who has been basically number 34 the last couple of years at 125 wrestled up at 141 for Cornell, which is interesting for two reasons. One, obviously with Arugia down at 25 and uh, Chaz Tucker at 133, Bauman's looking for a spot in the lineup. Um, but obviously, you know, also Yanni Diakmahalis didn't wrestle, which, um, you know, he, in, in the Lehigh match, he really slowed down late and it was hard to tell you. Know, I went back and watched it again. I didn't really see anything that looked like he got injured, uh, but now he's sitting a duel, so let's just keep an eye on that one. And then Brian Lantry over Sedarian Perry, which Lantry's good, and Sedarian Perry can be inconsistent, so it wasn't a huge, you know, issue, except that it was 11-3. to So really impressive performance by Lantry. Perry's been pretty good this year so far, um, so nice win for him. Lantry was 10, Sedarian Perry was 8, so they moved from to 9 and 10. Josh Albert jumped up from 11 to 8. Ironman doesn't drop because he was three. He's lost to Yanni and McKenna, but he's beaten Mikey Carr, and Mikey Carr's beaten everybody below him, including Mitch McKee, who was next. So that's kind of the summary of that weight. And this weekend we got Mitch McKee versus Tristan Moran, so that should be an interesting match. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, it's interesting. Tristan Moran, obviously, I'm familiar with him from being when he was with Oklahoma State. Um, and I remember earlier in the year, I think it was before the year even started or after the first duel, one of the two, that he was talking about you know, he wanted to set the record for most pins in a season at Wisconsin. And I kind of – that statement kind of caught me off guard because, you know, he's a good wrestler, but he's not the kind of guy you expect to go out and put up you know, 20 pins. Right. And I don't know what the record is at Wisconsin, so maybe it's not high. I don't know. Um, they've had some good wrestlers. But, you know, pin records are weird yeah. um, sometimes. But – He's starting to really wrestle well. You know, got the win over Nick Lee, and obviously if it can beat Mitch McKee, now you're suddenly setting yourself up for a nice seed at the Big Ten and NCAA tournament. So, big match for him, I think. For sure. Absolutely. 
Moving up to 149, Brock Mahler beat Max Thompson 9-3. to Just when I thought Max Thompson was starting to wrestle well again, he gets mauled. Ha, ha, ha. Um, Christian, so Olivas of Fresno- so <laughs> Christian Olivas of Fresno State penned Henry Pullmeyer in 339. Uh, so, yeah, obviously, Mahler is looking better and better, and we still, I just, I don't know what to make of Max Thompson's results. He had, he had a good scuffle, I think it was, and he's been really inconsistent in duels. So you never know what's going on there. And, um, uh, Pohlmeier can seemingly beat anybody or lose to anybody. Uh, Olivas is obviously a good opponent. Um, so it's not a bad loss, but it's, uh, one I'm sure he would have expected to win. What'd you make of it? The Olivas Pohlmeier thing. I didn't see the match. So I don't know if it was a freaky pin or anything like that. I've been on the Brock Mahler train all year. I was, you know, I've seen this kid wrestle. He's legit. His loss against Jared Dagan was he he smashed him. He majored him the first time and lost on a fluky scramble. And he's one fluky scramble away from being undefeated as a true freshman. And I, obviously, I got a lot of friends in Mizzou. He was doing very, very well with Grant Lee. Like, he wanted to wrestle off. That's how good he was doing. And, like, he would probably be ranked, he might be ranked third in the country probably the worst fourth if he wins that tournament so it's uh i mean i could still argue i might move him up the problem is he lost to dagan they split and dagan won the second one and that's always the criteria but you know it's a loss Mueller could move significantly up i've been i've been telling you this for two months this dude's gonna be around a 12 minimum and uh he's he's proved me right and dagan's gonna have a match this weekend with G Feller and Fine Silver wrestles Justin Oliver. So those are all matches inside of our top eight. So those are you know those are big matches. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see Oliver Fine Silver. Oliver has looked better and better. Um, he's another one that kind of started a little slowly, not necessarily from wins and losses standpoint, but just didn't look overly impressive as good as he has in the past. Um, but seems to have built back into that uh, form he was when he was, you know, All-American in 2016 and, uh, you know, top 10, top 15 type of guy for the next two years. So we'll see how that goes. And obviously Gefeller, you know, losses to one and two, if he can continue to win, this is the kind of match he needs to win if he's going to get a high seed at NCAAs. So big matches this weekend. Yeah. Moving up to 157, um, Jake Danishek beat Griffin Perry out 6-4. And uh, Wyatt Sheets knocked off Talib Rahmani nine to three. Um, so obviously Perriot was ranked pretty high. Uh, so big win for Danishek and um, Sheets. I don't know what's going to happen at 157 for Oklahoma State. They seem to have about three different guys that could man that spot. And now Sheets is in there um, as a as an option. So interesting times. Yeah, Rahmani dropped from 13 to 15. Um, Perriot dropped from six to 12. He also lost to Pantaleo. So uh he had he had had a kind of a quirky win earlier in the year you know this is also like when we weren't quite sure what we thought of caleb young but caleb young had pinned him at the time that was an upset now it's not so but yeah those those are the those were the main things and there's not really any big hammer matches this week at 57 that i saw coming up yeah i didn't really notice any obviously um it'll be I don't think Shomers can be back down at 57 for Oklahoma State yet, but that, that bears keeping an eye on. He's been wrestling up at 65, 
Um, while Chandler Rogers has been out, Rogers is expected back. So between Shomers and Sheets and John's Blaylock, someone will man 57 for the Cowboys. We don't know who yet. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. 165, the only note I have is Carson Brolsma over Joey Gunther of Illinois in a 3-2 match. Uh, did you see anything else? No. Really quiet week there. 174, I had no notes, but we will have notes next week, guaranteed. Uh, tell us about those matches. Well, Cutler's got a fun weekend, right? He wrestles, let me make sure I get this in the right order. He wrestles Zahid and McFadden. Let me see who he wrestles first. He wrestles Zahid first and then McFadden. So um, right now we've got Zahid 2, McFadden 6, and Cutler 7. So Cutler could go 0-2 and, and not lose any ground, kind of like when G. Feller did, you know, losing to 1-2. and two. If he wins, obviously, he gets a significant, you know, well, I shouldn't say significant. I mean, if he beats McFadden, they're, they're neck and neck. But uh, good slash tough weekend for him. And, you know, it's good to see at least he's healthy in wrestling because Lehigh's been banged up all over the place this year. Yeah, uh, I saw they went, got back into the coaches' poll. They've won several duels in a row now. Um, they are getting healthy, but they're still pretty banged up, so you're absolutely right. It'll be a tough weekend for them either way. That's a good test for uh, late January uh, to go with Arizona State and Virginia Tech back-to-back. Um, another move up to 184, uh, Parker versus Venz this weekend. Emory Parker really, I think most of us expected to be the number two kind of on his own tier maybe up there with miles martin and he's really martin's i think it's most martin being so impressive that has distanced him from parker but now he wants to prove that he's still number two um he'll wrestle taylor venz one note that i thought was really interesting from the weekend at this weight um venz ended up wrestling mason manville in the penn state duel and you know obviously 184 pounds and manville weighed in i think at 168 so um, and he, he, did, he did pretty well. He kept kept the match pretty good. He was pretty competitive overall with a top 10, 184-pounder. Uh, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Obviously, Greco background, being able to control ties yeah, and stay Greco in good positioning. Yeah, we'll say that Greco helps a lot. It might have helped you win those matches, but it'll sure keep you from kicking, getting your rear end kicked in for sure. Absolutely. And Venz is in a – Venz is six – I mean, different people have Rashid at a different spot. We have Rashid at three, but it's really because of where he started because he was seventh the year before at a weight up, and he just hasn't lost. So guys like Venz have lost, and Zavatsky's lost, and Max Dean has lost, and Chip Ness has lost. So he just kept sliding up, and he didn't wrestle Venz this weekend. So, you know, but Venz could be, you know, ranked a lot higher, and if he wins this match... It, it, it would shake things up, you know, pretty dramatically. I don't know if Venz goes all the way up or Parker falls down or they meet somewhere in the middle, but it's definitely going to be a change if that happens. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I think, like, like I said, I think before the season I would have said Parker would win this match, you know, not not by a lot, but comfortably, you know, yeah. take down or two. Uh, but, yeah, you know, we'll we'll see. Um, he hasn't done anything really to say that he won't win this match, but um, just worth worth keeping an eye on, especially with Venz. Venz is always dangerous, so he's always fun to watch. Most moving up to one, yeah, moving up to one ninety-seven. Josh Hokett of Fresno State, coming off a of football season, is starting to make his name. Um, Pin Tanner Orndorff late in their duel with Utah Valley. 
Tom Lane of Cal Poly knocked off Jacob Seeley of Northern Colorado 11-2. to two. Lane just seems to pop up now and then and, and cause headaches for rankings like you. So, um, I'm sure you're familiar with him. Uh, so I'll, I'm not even going to say this name because it was win by injury default, and I don't know. I don't want to butcher his last name. But the 197 from American, um, first name of Prince, ends up getting the win over Jake Jacobson by injury default. Uh, obviously more injuries for Lehigh and the guy that we thought was going to be there 197 now is in question. And then Chris Weiler, who has been down to 84, back up to 97, lost to Josh Roman of Navy um, also this weekend, 7-5. to five. So they just can't they can't win right now at that weight. Yeah, It's just one, one injury after another. Obviously they thought Weiler could get down to 184 and do something there and now he's forced back up to 97. Hopefully the injury to Jacobson is nothing serious and he can get back on the mat. But uh, what else do you see at 197? Anything? No, we looked at Thomas Lane's body of work. He doesn't deserve to be ranked. Josh Hokett, or Hockett, obviously his name is 14-3 and three with wins over Nicholas and Orndorff, losses to Jacob Warner and Sawyer Root. So we just ended up plugging him in right above Orndorff at 14. And that feels as good as anything. But, yeah, that was really it. I mean, Eric Schultz did wrestle uh, nickel 8-6. to six. I mean, if you can get points for looking good in a loss, he did. That's for sure. First non-bonus point win for uh, nickel this year. Yeah, and Schultz got a takedown in the third period to cut that gap and make it a competitive match. So, um, good for him. You know, that's... I would not have been as surprised at that outcome if it had been, you know, four to two instead of eight to six. But to see Schultz actually get the takedown, you know, Schultz last year gave people fits and was really hard to score on. So that would have been less surprising to me. But eight six is a little bit of a surprise. But, you know, like we mentioned before, they're not really worried about getting taken down at Penn State. Sometimes they take some risk. And uh, we know Bo Nickel is not averse to taking risks. So. He got the win. Um, what can you say? It's it's also underscores how hard it is to uh, bonus everybody uh, throughout a season, no matter how good you are. For sure, most definitely for sure. I mean, I did it in high school twice, but that's just slightly different. <laughs> <laughs> a little. Moving up, moving up to, to two eighty five. Sam Stoll um, actually took the mat and beat Colucci of Rutgers ten nothing. Um, we haven't seen him much this year, but when he has taken the mat, he has won. He continues to do that, um, and he'll be a kind of a, an odd seeding case, uh, especially at Big Tens. Um, obviously, NCAA is a little more automated, but we'll we'll see how that goes and see how many more times we see him the rest of the way. Uh, Conan Jennings of Northwestern knocked off Trent Hilger of Wisconsin 3-2 and tiebreaker 1. Uh, that's just seems like those kind of guys at that level are all relatively interchangeable. They can all beat each other. That's what I took away from it. Well, I don't know if you saw the match. I did. Hilger picked top to try to get the major to try to win the duel, and it ended up costing him. If he had just picked neutral, he would have won the match. So it's 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 not quite Jared Hot, Willie Nicholas, but it it was close. I mean, it definitely screwed up the rankings, um, and you know, it screwed up his seed. And you know, big shout out to Hilger for doing that. But Hilger was at nine. We bumped him to ten, and we bumped Jennings up from thirteen to nine. And people don't know this, but you and I have a Google document, and every week we just put stuff in here that we both want to talk about. And my favorite thing for me this week is Stoll wrestled with an exclamation point. It just. 
Dylan will wrestle Jennings cool. this week if they wrestle, and then Demetrius Thomas, who had a really good match against uh, Derek White, will wrestle Billy Miller. So those are a couple, you know, high ranked top fifteen matchups that are coming up. Yeah, Thomas is really interesting for people that watched that duel. Um, over the weekend with Oklahoma State, they had a little piece on him about how he plays the violin, and um, he kind of related how he can see somebody do something and kind of mimic it, so that's how he learns the violin, and that's also how he's learning wrestling. You know, he didn't start until high school and, yeah. and you know, then went to the NAIA for a while, and then now he's transferred to Pitt. And so he's a really interesting guy, and he did, did, like you said, wrestled very well against Derek White. Uh, White caught him with the shrug that is his go-to move several times, but um, Thomas just kept coming, and right at the end of the match, he had White out of gas and clinging, hanging on at the end. Um, so he's one to watch. He's very offensive, very um, has some varied attacks, so he's just another one of these heavyweights that is, you know, bucking the trend and being really entertaining to watch on the match. So keep just an another, eye on him. Just another stud from Missouri, I think, is what we're trying to say. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about, identifying <laughs> the studs from, from Missouri. You're still looking for one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a McClure, McClure Comet, though, and he's a late bloomer, and uh, he's a, he's, his story is a really cool one for sure. Absolutely. So coming up this week, we have – Michigan and Ohio State in a duel. Are we going to pick this match let's do real, this quick? real quick? Yeah, let's go through it. I'll read up the matchups and just, you know, we can pick and we'll see if we disagree. So 25 is Matten and Heinzelman. Who you got? I got Matten. Um, Heinzelman's a little too small. Matten can, can struggle at times, but I think he's good enough to get this win, probably just by decision, though. I will agree. Okay, 33, Misek Fletcher. Awesome match. Awesome match. I think Misha has figured him out. I'll go ahead. I'll go. I'll do evens. I'll take Misha by decision. Okay. So that would make it 6-0 Michigan. Do you agree? 141. You have Pletcher saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think he's figured out Pletcher. um, You know, Pletcher got that one win over him. I don't think that's going to happen again. Okay. McKenna store, 141. McKenna looks really good this year. Um, this might actually border on a major decision, even though Storr is talented and wrestling pretty tough. But um, I, I think McKenna has just found another gear this year. He looks um, more, I, I hate to say interested, because that's not the right word, but more interested in scoring for sure. Oh, I think in yeah. the past, sometimes, yeah, I think in the past, sometimes he looked like he was willing to win three to two um, if he didn't get exactly what he wanted. And I think this year he's less willing to do that. So I think he's going to win. It probably will just be by decision, but it wouldn't right, surprise decision. me if he gets. I agree. Five, six. All right. We got to keep it moving. Micah Jordan. Right. Look at me. I'll take Micah by major. Yeah. Th- it'll be a, a plus for Michigan. If Amin can keep it to a decision, but it's probably a major. So, yep. All right, so so Seven, six, Ohio. Yeah. So far we're tied. All right, 57, we've got Alec Pantaleo against, who's that, Ohio State's 57? Keyshawn Hayes. Key, oh, my God, yeah. They're ranked literally six and seven. All right, so I got to pick this. Um, I'm, I'll pick Keyshawn. I'll pick Keyshawn. Uh, I, I, I'll disagree with you here. I think Pantaleo, I mean, yeah, he's, 
struggled around the weird dip to 149, but I think I think he's got enough to win. Hayes is a little undersized, and even though Pantaleo made 49, I think he's still a very strong 157. Um, I think he wins it by decision. Logan Massa, Caleb Romero. I like Massa, obviously. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he can get bonus here. Romero's wrestling pretty well for a freshman, but he is a freshman, and I think Massa takes it probably by decision. Okay, I'm going to go major. Massa. Okay. All right. 74, uh, Amin against either Ethan Smith or Deshaun Campbell. And somehow I picked two in a row, so it's my turn to pick. So I'm going to say Amin. I'll say Amin by decision. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I would expect that it's going to be Ethan Smith. I think he's earned the right to take that shot, and I think keep it to a decision. All right, 84, Miles Martin. Jelani Embry's been hurt, so, I mean, I don't know who they're going to wrestle there, but Embry, if he's healthy, if not, we don't fill in. So what do you got? Yeah, I'm not sure it matters. Um, I think Martin by Tech Fall. Um, I mean, yeah. Embry's really talented, but he, Martin's a, a killing machine right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'd like to pick something different, but I'd also like to try to be right. So, um, Colin Moore and Jackson Strigo, I'm going to say more by decision. Or by major, rather. By major, excuse me. Yeah, I, I would agree it's probably going to be a major. Um, I think that's, that's probably the way to go, Colin Moore. All right, Mason Paris and Jay Singletary. I like Paris in this one. Um, I think it'll be close. Uh, Singletary has really impressed me this year. Um, had kind of a rough redshirt year, but really impressed me. So I think it'll be close, but I think Paris pulls it out in the end. Okay, so I'm going to take out 157 for a second and see what we got. So we both got it. It's both. It's six to seven. Then we both got it. Uh, 9-7-12, sorry. This is good radio right here. Um, <laughs> five and four. We both have it 16 to 12, Ohio State. It's 65, we're a little bit different, so it's either going to, I'll say 15 and a half. Because, you know, we've got it 16 to 15 and a half, and 57 decides the duel. Yeah, I think that makes sense, actually. Um, you know, so I'm sure there will be a, an upset in there somewhere to upset the apple cart, but um, on paper, I think that's what, what it looks like. Whoever wins 57 should win the duel. So we should start the duel at 65. I mean, that's how it should go. So, you know, you, you got ends with all these coaches. Just call them up. Let them know. David Mirkatani says start at 165. Let's go. I'm going to text Jaggers, text Hervel. I'm going to call Sean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, fellas, we've already mapped the duel out. You don't even need to wrestle these matches. <laughs> we need to see if Massa gets a major, but actually that doesn't matter either. Because <laughs> it's either... <laughs> in the end. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that. You know, we talked about, um, you know, where where they should start. We talk about that all the time. Um, I think it was like Davidson and George Mason. It was somebody was having a duel, and they're going to have matches not in a random order but in kind of a scattershot order not proceed through the weights and just kind of yeah however you know like 141 then 174 then 133 just whatever order they want to do them in i i think that 
it, that would be really interesting if they drew for every weight. Um, I can't decide if that would be weird. I mean, I'm sure it would be weird to see it the first time since we're used to it proceeding in weight order, but um, I don't see a real downside to that. So I think that might be something we see in the future. And then you could just make sure that 157 is last and you can go in order, any order you want. You just don't put that number in the hat. Just put right. the other nine numbers in the hat and then you're fine. <laughs> Yeah, it's just another thing that gives coaches the power to help promote the sport and to make give their fans a good experience. Uh, that would be really interesting. I hope they have a good experience when they try it, and uh, that it becomes a thing, an option for coaches to use nationwide. That'd be pretty cool. Well, it's on the Big Ten Network and it's on the Fox Sports app. So, like everybody that missed the beginning, like of the duel with Rutgers and Iowa, was actually on the Fox Sports app. And they ranked right, it on right. the top of that. So, like, people that missed it, like, it was there. So, it's just something to know for the next time in case um, there's some compelling basketball game between two non-ranked teams go on too long. So, Yeah, it's that, and that's a, that's a pro tip right there. The Fox Sports Go app has all of the BTN duels, the ones that are actually on the Big Ten Network on TV. Um, and it the broadcast starts, like you said, when the duel starts, not when it comes right. on BTN. So, so that's pro tip. That's a good call there. I like I actually had, That makes me uh, sound smart. Like almost like a like yeah. a very stud almost. I like it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was over at my parents' house, and I uh, pulled it up on the Fox Sports Go app on their TV because uh, they don't actually get BTN, and uh, <laughs> it just it was beautiful. A nice little cheat. I never was. <laughs> I never even knew there was a basketball game that, that conflicted with it. It just started as it should, and we watched, watched the duel. So. What is this basketball you're talking about? Yeah. Exactly. I don't know what you're talking about. All I do is stream wrestling. So we, we'll have to keep track of this, um, and we'll see who is right about these. I mean, literally, it's only one match, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, it comes down to who wins 57. And, uh, you know, Alec Pantaleo, I know we, we have met. I've interviewed you before. I know you, you know who I am. So win this one for me. Come on. I'm, I'm in your corner. Let's go. He I'm sure, I'm sure he's. <laughs> <laughs> That's our theme. All right. <laughs> there we go. That's right. I get it. You got anything else we need to talk about before we get out of here? No, man. Everything's good. It'll be another great weekend of wrestling, and we'll have lots to talk about next week. I hope you join us then for episode 117. Uh, for 116, this is Alex Steen for David Maricatani signing off.